Welcome, everyone. I welcome you in the name of Jesus Christ. We are here to acknowledge our Creator. And if I'm correct, I'm hearing the sound of rain on the roof. So our Creator has gifted us with more moisture. There is power there. As I looked at the clouds on the way here this morning, I saw interesting lines in the sky. And the first song that we're going to sing, I think, references the, the mighty power of God in creation. So it's hymn number 59 in our hymn book, but just use that for the words because we're going to sing it to a slightly different tune. God, we acknowledge you as the creator, as the powerful one, and that in that power you are not against us, but for us, and that you care for us. And thank you for the many signs of beauty in our world, and at this time of the year, as the flowers burst forth. We acknowledge you as good, and we welcome your presence, we acknowledge it, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. And let's continue our prayer together with the words of Psalm 44, which you will see on your screen. I will read the first part, and you respond in the second part with Susan. We have heard it with our ears, O God. Our ancestors have told us what you did in their days. In days long ago. It was not by their sword that they won the land. Nor did their arm bring them victory. It was your right hand, your arm, and the light of your face, for you loved them. 
Let's sing number 52. And we'll sing just selected verses, and you'll see on your screen where it is that uh, women will sing and men will sing. And if you're able, please stand. Number 52. be seated. Instead of a confession prayer this morning, I'm going to pray a prayer of complaint, also from verse from Psalm 44, selected verses. Let's pray. Oh God, in our world, in our culture, sometimes it feels like we are out of place. You have made us a reproach to our neighbors, the scorn and derision of those around us. You have made us a byword among the nations. The people shake their heads at us. I live in disgrace all day long, and my face is covered with shame. If we had forgotten the name of our God, or spread out our hands to a foreign God, would not God have discovered it, since he knows the secrets of the heart? You would have known if we had done that. We feel like we have not done wrong. Yet for your sake, we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. Let us sing, I am weak and I need thy strength. Through the darkness. 
affirmation of faith, also from Psalm 44. I put no trust in my bow. My sword does not bring me victory. In God we make our boast all day long, and we will praise your name forever. Rise up and help us. Rescue us because of your unfailing love. He giveth more grace. If you have your bulletins on you, now's the time to pull those out. There's a couple items that are on there. Uh, the first is that tonight at 7 p.m., there's going to be a get-together at David and Tammy Cruz's. Uh, make sure to bring a snack for potluck. Uh, otherwise, David and Tammy will provide drinks and sparkling conversation. So make sure to come on out tonight, 7 p.m., David and Tammy Cruz's. If you don't know where that is, track me down or them down or... We will find your way there. Next, Wednesday, 7 p.m., prayer meeting at the church. I'd encourage you to come. Uh, then Sunday, 10.45 a.m. is a worship service. Uh, look forward to seeing you then as well. Then skipping down to the bottom with announcements, uh, we have actually two that I'm going to uh, say. The first is that uh, the North Norfolk Child Care Found Center uh, they are looking for volunteers. They have asked the area churches if we 
had any volunteers that would be interesting in serving at the food booth at the Thresherman's reunion. And so if that is something that would be interesting uh, to you, or if you're planning on going anyway, this way you can get in for free. But uh, if you are interested in working at a food booth at the Thresherman's reunion, uh, then go on to their Facebook page. Uh, it'll have a sign up there. Uh, and then finally, I am happy to uh, announce that Ariana and Everett, as we all know, are planning on getting married uh, at the end of this month. And so one of the things that you can do in order to announce a marriage is to announce what are called the bans, and that is the intent of the couple to get married announced in church at least two weeks beforehand. It's a way of bringing the larger community into the wedding as well. And so I want to formally announce uh, that Ariana and Everett intend to be married uh, at the end of the month on July 30th. On July 30th, that's the Saturday of the long weekend. If you have any reasons why these two should not be wed, that's the other thing the bands does, is it moves that section of the marriage to today. If you have any reasons that these two should not be wed, come talk to me or to the happy couple. We will also be announcing it next week as well and every weekend until the wedding takes place. All right, then moving on to items for prayer. Uh, the first one is following in the same vein, Everett and Ariana, as well as Joel and Pam. They are moving into married life, and so we're going to want to keep them in our prayers over the weeks to come. The showers were this past week. I heard they went very well, uh, so we want to just keep celebrating with them as well as keeping them in our prayers until the big day comes and then afterwards as well. Uh, next to that, we want to continue to pray as it is summer now that those that are resting get good rest. They go back to the rest of the school year uh, or the rest of what fall will bring fully charged. We want to pray for that. And the last one is, is that looking at the calendar this week, uh, is the mid of July, and that means that it has been five years since I've moved here, and I just want to say that I am happy and praise God every day that he brought me here to you fine people. So at the same time, I think we should pray a word of praise that for that as well as what we have to look forward to together going forward as well. All right, so let's go now into a time of prayer. Dear God, we come before you this morning. We come before you this morning first in praise. Lord, I come before you this morning first in praise, thinking of myself, thinking of my family. Five years is a blink of an eye. But oh, what a wonderful time it has been. And so God, I thank you for it. And Lord, I also want to pray for the years to come as well. Lord, I pray that you continue to work through this group of people here, that you continue to speak through them and the part I have to play in that, Lord, I pray that you bless me in that as well. Lord, I pray that when we look back on this time over the years to come, that it is even more of a blessing. Lord, thank you. And as we are praising you, Lord, we wanna praise you for your work in Ariana and Everett's life, in Joel and Pam's life, and God, as they now go towards marriage, this next big step, God, we pray that you bless them. 
God, we pray that you be with them. God, we pray that in the ways that they need maturing, you mature them. In the ways they need to be stretched, you stretch them. In the ways that you need them to grow, you grow them. And Lord, most of all, we pray that in all of those things, in all of those ways, you help them to do it together. God, we pray that the last details before the marriage comes fall into place. God, we pray that all the I's are dotted, all the T's are crossed, and the ones that aren't aren't ones that matter too terribly much at the end of the day. And God, we pray that you be with them, you be the strength that they need in their marriages going after their wedding day as well. And Lord, we also want to pray for those people that need relaxation this summer. Lord, all too often in the world that we live in, we push, we push, we push the entire rest of the year until we hit summer and it hits us like a brick wall. And then we expect that the little amount of time that is here is enough to recharge ourselves. And sadly, that's just the way that the world works most of the time. And so, God, we pray that these next few weeks are enough to charge back up to full. And God, we also pray that going forward, the things that can be addressed are. Lord, all of these things we bring before you this morning, all of these things we put on you. We pray them in your name. Amen. All right. So, this summer, in our Summer with the Psalms, our great series that we're doing, we come across the second genre that you are going to find in the book of Psalms, the second type of psalm. And a fair warning, uh, this is going to be a bleak sermon, because today we are going to be looking at the Psalms of Lament. These are the psalms that are written for the times in our lives when things are, I mean, simply put, just not like they should be. They're for the times when we feel paralyzed. They are for the times when we call out like Jesus did on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? These are the Psalms for the dark nights of the soul. But the dark nights of the soul, the dark times, those are a part of life too. And so these psalms are an important part of Scripture because they bring us before God and they do so with a rather brutal honesty. And they show us that even then when we are in those places, God is still with us. And so we begin in one of the more important psalms of lament, Psalm 44, if you have your Bibles on you. Psalm 44. It is made up of five different chunks, five stanzas, we call them. And the first is verses one to three. And if you didn't know what you were reading when you come to verse 1 of this psalm, 
you would almost think that it was one of the psalms of praise that we looked at last week. For the director of music of the sons of Korah, Meskil, we have heard it with our ears, O God. Our ancestors have told us what you did in their days, in days long ago. With your hand, you drove out the nations and planted our ancestors. You crushed the peoples and made our ancestors flourish. It was not by their sword that they won the land, nor did their arm bring them victory. It was your right hand, your arm, and the light of your face, for you loved them. See how the psalm begins with received history. We have heard these words with our ears, O God. That is, we have known these scriptures since we were children, since our infancy. These are the stories that we have been told about who you are, Lord, about what you have done in the lives of our family, our kin, our ancestors, our forefathers, those that came before us. We see that there is that connection there, connection of God to not just us, but also to our family as well. And for us Christians who have been adopted into the family of the children of God's, these are the stories of how God has worked in our family in the past as well. Since we were toddlers running around bumping into furniture, we were told that these stories that were told to us by our parents, our pastors, our Sunday school teachers, our youth leaders, these stories of how you, O oh God, brought our family home, how you, O oh God, defeated the nations standing against them, though the odds were insurmountable. Think Jericho, think Joshua. We were told, O oh God, of how you defeated the enemies of our people. Think Samson, think Gideon, think Elijah. As we heard these stories with our ears, we knew it was you who did these things. By your hands, that it was your work, your skill. By your arms, that it was your strength. Not by what our ancestors did, but by what you did, oh God. Our family became what it did. And that you did this because you love them. You, you state that again and again, so we've never questioned it. All our lives, we have been told these stories. All our lives, we have internalized them, been in awe of you because of them, learned to trust in you because we have heard these stories with our ears, oh God. And the passage goes on to the second stanza, verses 4 to 8. Again, keeping the same upbeat tone. You are my king and my God, who decrees victories for Jacob. Through you, we push back our enemies. Through your name, we trample our foes. I put no trust in my bow. My sword does not bring me victory, but you give us Victory over our enemies. You put our adversaries to shame. In God, we make our boast all day long, and we all praise your name forever. But the first stanza is all about telling us how we 
as followers, as children of God, we're raised to believe that our Lord could do all things because we've seen him do all things in the lives of those that came before us. Now here in the second part, we talk about how this upbringing has caused us to live as a result. Someone who the writer of Proverbs would say lives wisely because we live according to how God has taught us to live. I've claimed you as my king, O God, because I was told that you did these great things to my forefathers before me. And so when in my life I found victories, I, I knew like those who came before me that they came from you. Because if you, O God, did these great things on behalf of my ancestors, then of course the good things in my life, of course those are from you. And so I took no pride in my skill with the bow, in the work of my hands. I put no trust in my strength with the sword, with the muscles in my arm. There's that connection to the first part there. I didn't think I needed to because like my ancestors, I knew I had you. You gave me victories as you did for them. You rose me above those who would put me down just as you had for them. And so I told the world that it was you that I owed everything to. I praised your name. I praised your name alone because I had heard the stories of you with my ears, O oh God. So when these good things happened in my life, I knew they were from you as well. Now, depending on the translation you have, there's going to be a single word there, salah. Salah is a way of kind of saying like, huzzah. It's an exclamation followed by a full stop. And that's when we begin the third stanza after that full stop. Verses 9 to 16. And what almost sounded like a hymn of praise up until this point takes a turn. But now you have rejected and humbled us. You no longer go out with our armies. You made us retreat before the enemy and our adversaries have plundered us. You gave us up to be devoured like sheep and scattered us among the nations. You sold your people for a pittance, gaining nothing from the sale. You've made us a reproach to our neighbors and scorn and derision of those around us. You've made us a byword among the nations. The people shake their heads at us. I live in disgrace all day long, and my face is covered with shame at the taunts of those who reproach and revile me because of the enemy who is bent on revenge. Now that is a change in tone. The beginning of this psalm lays down who we believe God to be based on what he has done and what we believe he has done for us and how we have lived in response to that. But now, now, as we hear the pain of the writer in this third part, the pretenses drop. And the meaning of the first two 
chunks of this passage change completely. While at first they sounded like praise for our God, now we see that it was build up so that the fall to the bottom is even farther. You, O oh God, you who was with my family, you, O oh God, who I know was with me, you, O oh God, whom I live for, you have rejected me. And as we read these words, we're pointing our fingers at the Lord. You have humbled me. Because I used to be something. I, I used to stand against the world, and now what am I? I cower, I retreat, I'm taken advantage of. I used to stand against the world with you, O oh God, and you, you left me to be devoured. I have heard the stories, O oh God. I have heard them with my ears, the stories of how you saved my people from slavery, how you broke their chains in Egypt, how you told them that you would always do the same for their children, and now you have sold me back into slavery, and you have done it for no reason other than to be rid of me. You have done it for a pittance. You, you have broken your word to me. I am disgraced in front of everyone, and it's because of you. You did this. You undid everything good that I have claimed before was because of you. You did this to me. There is no questioning in this stanza. There is no, why have you done this? There is no, did you do this? It's a statement. You, oh God, you did this to me. You who have been told stories of all my life. You who I thought was beside me. You who I have lived for. It is you who did this to me. And the fourth stanza continues on with that pain. Verses 17 to 22. All this came upon us, though we had not forgotten you. We had not been false to your covenant. Our hearts had not turned back. Our feet had not strayed from your path. But you crushed us and you made us a haunt for jackals. You, you covered us with a deep darkness. If you had forgotten the name of our God or spread out our hands to a foreign God, would not God have discovered it? Since he knows the secrets of our heart, yet for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. If you've ever read the book of Job, this part of the Psalm 44 is going to sound pretty familiar to you. In that book, Job did no wrong, and yet his life fell around apart him. All along, he clung to his innocence while his friends told him, yelled at him, that there had to have been something he did to deserve this. 
If the last stanza was how the author sees things to be now, this one now says why he knows that what is happening to him just isn't fair. Why are you doing this to me, he asks God. Why are you letting this happen to me? Why do you let me live like this? I have never turned from you, O God. I have not done anything wrong. So why do you now wrong me? I've not turned to the other gods, and yet you've made my life like a home for wild animals, desolate, tearing me from the inside out. Everything that was good about me, everything that was worth something about me, you've covered with something darker than darkness. Oh God, you know I have not turned against you. You know my heart and you know I have always been yours, so why? Why do you send me like an animal to be butchered? Why do you treat me like I'm unimportant, like I'm disposable? now before the end that finally a question that burns in the heart of the writer breaks through. All our lives we have been told of what you have done, O Lord, and so all our lives we have followed you as our ancestors have, and yet now you let me suffer. Why? I've done nothing wrong, and yet I suffer either because you were causing it or you are actively letting it happen, or because you simply don't care. You know my heart, O oh God. You know I've done nothing to deserve this. So why? Why were you with my ancestors and not me? which we come to the fifth and the final stanza in this psalm of lament. Verses 23 to the end. Awake, Lord. Why do you sleep? Rouse yourself. Don't reject us forever. Why do you hide your face and forget our misery and our oppression? We are brought down to the dust. Our bodies cling to the ground. Rise up and help us. Rescue us because of your unfailing love. Said in the beginning of the message today that this psalm, as painful as it is, has historically been a very important one. A heavily used one. Most of the Psalms of Lament, and there's a number of them, they end in a way like you would expect. They don't sound too serially dissimilar from Psalm 44 for most of their length, but then right at the end, the writer comes around and says what we would think of as the right thing to say. I am suffering, but I praise God even now. The psalm is one of the two in the book of Psalms that doesn't do that, though. And believe it or not, it's actually by far and away the cheerier of the two. 
Father, Psalm 88, consider yourself forewarned. Like many psalms, this one is hard to know when it was written, but the Israelites in exile, they, they used it an awful lot. And I think it's easy to see why. They, as a people, had also grown up, like we have, on stories of the God of their ancestors, of our God. They also, like we have, followed him as though he meant everything, as he did. And there were great times as they followed our Lord. But then it all went south. Their kingdom was destroyed. They were carted off to captivity. And all the while, they were positive that they had done absolutely nothing to deserve that. All the while, they were wondering if God had abandoned them. And if so, they, they cried out to the Lord, where are you now? Are you asleep? You said you made a covenant with us, and yet you face as turned away from us. You said that you would love us forever, so if that's true, save us now. Nearly every other psalm of lament, you'll find in that last minute a reminder to keep your chin up. A reminder that God is with you, so it could be worse. And while that message is an important one to hear in many times of our lives, you don't find it here. What you find is anger. What you find is someone tearing a strip off of God for what he has done to them. But precisely because of this, what you also find in Psalm 44, when you come to it, when you are in those lowest places of your life, you feel like your faith has been wrong and that the God who seems to be blessing everyone else around you decided to take a break when it comes to you. When you're in those places of your life, what you're going to find in Psalm 44 that you're not going to find to the same extent in any of the other laments is a breath of fresh air. You'll find honesty. You'll find how you feel. And if you're like me, or like most Protestants, it almost feels wrong to be reading these words of anger against God. It feels like just by saying these words out loud, you're committing some kind of taboo. And it feels like just by saying them out loud and feeling them in you, you'll be smitten lightning bolt from above like in the stories of the other gods. It feels like we need to temper this passage, explain how it isn't actually saying what it is clearly saying, 
or come up with some reason that the writer actually somehow is to blame for his lot because though it doesn't make anything better, victim blaming, it sure does do an excellent job helping us to avoid dealing with our own hangups. I don't know why we often have such problems admitting when we're in these dark places and putting that before God, bringing our questioning of his ways before him, harshness and all. Maybe we think in doing that in some way our faith isn't strong enough or that we failed in some way. But just think about that. Think about Elijah, a prophet who literally talked to God. And in his story, he finds despair to the point that the Lord needs to intervene to stop him from killing himself. As mentioned before, think about Jesus on the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Where is the unending love of God? We have to choose our words in our darkest moments for fear of offending him. What does that say about how we think God is? Where is the unending love of God in feeling that we have to temper ourselves even at our lowest points just so we don't accidentally say the wrong thing? Psalm 44 is important and has been used as much as it is because in it we get real, raw pain. We get someone angry at God for what he has done to them and absolutely taking our Lord to task over it. We get a psalm that for when we are in those lowest points in our life, speaks more truth than anything else. And we find this psalm in the Bible, in the guide for how we as Christians following our Lord should live. That this psalm is included in Scripture as it is means that it has to be okay to come before God like this. It's okay even when we are in the dark nights of our soul to put it all down before our Lord, anger and all. I mean, that makes sense, doesn't it? I mean, imagine there's someone in your life who's hurting badly and they think it's your fault. I ask you, what would you rather have? That they came before you Anger and all, or they just kept skirting around it. For myself, I would say I'd want the anger because then you at least know that there is a relationship there. Keep skirting around your problems like that, and one day you wake up with nothing but memories of what once was and may never be. Look at this lament. It's painful, yes. It hurts to read it. But how does it start? 
We have heard of what you have done with our ancestors. We've heard it with our ears. At the lowest point of this psalmist's life, he comes before God as one of God's children, one of his own, as a person who holds these stories, who holds the scriptures in their heart, who lives it even, who is a part of the family of God, a part of the covenant that our God made with his people. How does the psalm end? It ends by saying, I know you love me, so fix this. For how angry as it is, for how questioning and accusatory as it is, it ends still in that relationship with God. Coming before God with how you really feel, when you are in the darkest point, tore you out of his family and ended your relationship with the Lord, then not only would neither of these two parts of the psalm be in the psalm, but this lament itself, I hazard to guess, wouldn't be in the Bible either. In our lives, many of us will go through times when we understand this anger of the psalmist real well. Times when it will feel like God either does not care or has abandoned us. And if you're in one of those now, no, I am sorry. But also know, and here is my grand takeaway for today, short and sweet, that even in this place, even with all your questions and your doubts, even knowing more likely than not that talking to God just now is going to end you on a rant where you're going to say things that you feel you maybe shouldn't have said. As today's psalm shows us, God is still there to hear you. And when you've said that all you can say He'll still be loving you on the far side, too. It might not sound like much of comfort. I found for myself that to know that's true, that's important to hear. That's important to know. And in an excellent segue, as fellow believers, as your brothers and sisters in Christ, we'll be with you too. Communion of the saints and all of that. And we Christians have a way of showing that togetherness, have a way of showing that bond that we have not only between ourselves and the Lord, but between all the other believers in the church all the way back to the apostles themselves. Communion. And so I'd like to ask the servers to come up, the band as well, in what is a 
cheery bit of news for some. We've run out of communion cups, so we are back to handing out uh, the elements in disposable as well as little uh, bread squares. Uh, they will come to you uh, directly. And in the book of 1 Corinthians we read, For the tradition I received from the Lord and also handed on to you is that on the night he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread, and after he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way with the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Whenever you drink it, do this in memory of me. For whenever you eat this bread then and drink this cup, you are proclaiming the Lord's death until he comes again. In McGregor EMC, we believe that communion is open to all believers. But if you have young ones with you that may not fully grasp what communion is all about, parents, I would ask that you make the decision for yourself. Please bow with me now as we put our hearts right before the Lord. God, we thank you for this. Our Lord, we thank you that in communion we join together with all of the other believers, not just here, not just in the other churches of this area, not just in the other churches of Manitoba or Canada or North North America, but across the world, and not just now, but all of the believers that have come before us doing this same thing. Lord, we thank you that through communion we can draw that line all the way back to the apostles, all the way back to you. Lord, we thank you that in communion we are together with you. Our God, we thank you so much that even when we are in the darkest of places, there is still that bond, there is still that relationship, there is still that comfort to be found. God, we thank you. In your name we pray, amen. There will be music while you are receiving the elements, but uh, it's music that we will perform for you to begin with, and then when you hear the piano start to play, then you can join in with singing if you like. Uh, it is hymn number 324, and we'll just show you how it sounds as you receive the elements. Come celebrate Jesus, come celebrate Jesus, the bread and the wine, the moment in time. Come celebrate Jesus, the spirit that frees us. His table has been laid, 
Come now and celebrate Him. Come celebrate Jesus. Come celebrate Jesus. The bread and the wine, the moment in time. Come celebrate Jesus. The spirit that frees us, his table has been laid. Come now and celebrate him. Come celebrate Jesus. Come celebrate Jesus. And together we eat.
and together we drink. That is far better than those little cups. I would ask that you now all join me in the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Let us sing number 379, Take My Life and Let It Be. Uh, again, just selected verses, and you'll see on the screen which ones to sing. Just a reminder, tonight at 7 o'clock, David and Tammy's bring a snack to the potluck. I hope to see you there. And also, next Sunday, look forward to a significantly more upbeat psalm. But again, these are times in our lives that we all go through. And so it's good to face them with the honesty that our Lord gives us in his word. Our benediction comes from the book of Numbers. May God keep you, bless you, and keep you. May he let his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May he show you his face and bring you peace. Go now and serve our loving God. 